0: Chapter 31 of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter 31 Captain Kearney, The Dignity Ball. The next morning at daylight we exchanged numbers and saluted the flag, and by eight o'clock they all anchored. Mr. Falcon went on board the Admiral's ship with despatches and to report the death of Captain Savage. In about half an hour he returned, and we were glad to perceive, with a smile upon his face, from which we argued that he would receive his acting order as commander, which was a question of some doubt, as the Admiral had the power to give the vacancy to whom he pleased, although it would not have been fair if he had not given it to Mr. Falcon. Not that Mr. Falcon would not have received his commission, as Captain Savage dying when the ship was under no Admiral's command, made himself but still the admiral might have sent him home and not have given him a ship but this he did the captain of the minerva being appointed to the sanglier the captain of the possum to the minerva and captain falcon taking command of the possum he received his commission that evening and the next day the exchanges were made captain falcon would have taken me with him and offered to do so but i could not leave o'brien so i preferred remaining in the sanglier we were all anxious to know what sort of a person our new captain was whose name was kearney but we had no time to ask the midshipmen except when they came in charge of the boats which brought his luggage they replied generally that he was a very good sort of fellow and there was no harm in him but when i had the night watch with swinburne he came up to me and said well mr shimple we have a new captain i sailed with him for two years in a brig and pray swinburne what sort of person is he "'Why, I'll tell you, Mr. Simple, "'he's a good-tempered, kind fellow enough, but—' "'But what?' "'But such a bouncer! "'How do you mean? "'He's not a very stout man.' "'Bless you, Mr. Simple, why you don't understand English. "'I mean that he's the greatest liar that ever walked a deck. "'Now, Mr. Simple, you know I can spin a yarn occasionally.' "'Yes, that you can. "'Witnessed a hurricane the other night.' "'Well, Mr. Simple, I cannot hold a candle to him.' It ain't that I might not stretch now and again just for fun, as far as he can. But damn it, he's always on the stretch. In fact, Mr Simple, he never tells the truth except by mistake. He's as poor as a rat and has nothing but his pay. Yet to believe him he is worth at least as much as Greenwich Hospital. But you'll soon find him out, and he'll serve to laugh at behind his back, you know, Mr Simple, for that's no go before his face captain kearney made his appearance on board the next day the men were mustered to receive him and all the officers were on the quarter-deck you've a fine set of marines here captain falcon observed he those i left on board on the minerva were only fit to be hung and you have a good show of reefers too those i left at the minerva were not worth hanging if you please i'll read my commission if you'll order the men aft His commission was read all hands with their hats off from respect to the authority from which it proceeded now my lads said captain kearney addressing the ship's company i've but a few words to say to you i am appointed to command this ship and you appear to have a very good character from your late first lieutenant all i request of you is this be smart keep sober and always tell the truth that's enough pipe down gentlemen continued he addressing the officers i trust that we shall be good friends i see no reason that it should be otherwise he then turned away with a bow and called his coxswain William, you'll go on board and tell my steward that I have promised to dine with the governor to-day, and that he must come to dress me, and, Coxon, recollect to put the sheepskin mat on the stern gratings of my gig, not the one I used to have when I was on shore in my carriage, but the blue one which was used for the chariot, you know which I mean. I happened to look Swinburne in the face, who cocked his eye at me, as much as to say, There he goes. We afterwards met the officers of the Minerva, who corroborated all that Swinburne had said, although it was quite unnecessary, as we had the captain's own words every minute to satisfy us of the fact. Dinner-parties were now very numerous, and the hospitality of the island is but too well known. The invitations extended to the midshipmen, and many was the good dinner and kind reception which I had during my stay. There was, however, one thing I had heard so much of that I was anxious to witness it, which was a dignity ball. But I must enter a little into explanation, or my readers will not understand me the coloured peoples of barbados for reasons best known to themselves are immoderately proud and look upon all the negroes who are born on other islands as niggers they have also an extraordinary idea of their own bravery although i never heard that it has ever been put to the proof the free barbadians are most of them very rich and hold up their heads as they walk with an air quite ridiculous they ape the manners of the europeans at the same time that they appear to consider them as almost their inferiors now a dignity ball is a ball given by the most consequential of their coloured people and from the amusement and various other reasons is generally well attended by the officers both on shore and afloat the price of tickets of admission was high i think they were a joe or eight dollars each the governor sent out cards for a grand ball and supper for the ensuing week and miss betsy Austin, a quadroon woman ascertaining the fact sent out her cards for the same evening this was not altogether in rivalry but for another reason which was that she was aware that most of the officers and midshipmen of the ships would obtain permission to go to the governor's ball and preferring hers would slip away and join the party by which means she ensured a full attendance on the day of invitation our captain came on board and told our new first lieutenant of whom i shall say more hereafter that the governor insisted that all his officers should go that he would take no denial and therefore he presumed they must go the fact was that the governor was a relation of his wife and under some trifling obligations to him in obtaining for him his present command he certainly had spoken to the prime minister and he thought it not impossible considering the intimate terms which the minister and he had been on from childhood that his solicitation might have some effect at all events it was pleasant to find that there was some little gratitude left in this world after this of course every officer went with the exception of the master who said that he'd as soon have two round turns in his haws as go to see people kick their legs about like fools, and that he'd take care of the ship. The governor's ball was very splendid, but the ladies were rather sallow from the effects of the climate. However, there were exceptions, and on the whole it was a very gay affair, but we were all anxious to go to the dignity ball of Miss Betsy Austin. I slipped away with three other midshipmen, and we soon arrived there. A crowd of negroes were outside the house, but the ball had not yet commenced from want of gentlemen the ball being very correct nothing under mulatto in color being admitted perhaps i ought to say here that the progeny of a white and a negro is a mulatto or half and half of a white and a mulatto a quadroon or one-quarter black and of this class the company were chiefly composed i believe a quadroon and white make the musty or one-eighth black and the musty and white the mustafina or one-sixteenth black after that they are whitewashed and considered as europeans the pride of colour is very great in the west indies and they have as many quarterings as a german prince in his coat of arms a quadroon looks down upon a mulatto while a mulatto looks down upon a sambo that is half mulatto half negro while a sambo in his turn looks down upon a nigger the quadroons are certainly the handsomest race of the whole some of the women are really beautiful their hair is long and perfectly straight their eyes large and black their figures perfection and you can see the colour mantle in their cheeks quite as plainly and with as much effect as in those of a european we found the door of miss Austin's house open and ornamented with orange branches and on our presenting ourselves were accosted by a mulatto gentleman who was we presumed usher of the black rod his head was well powdered he was dressed in white jean trousers a waistcoat not six inches long and a half-worn post captain's coat on as a livery with a low bow he took the liberty to trouble the gentleman for the card for the ball which being produced we were ushered on by him to the ball-room at the door of which miss Austin was waiting to receive her company she made us a low curtsey observing she really happy to see the gentleman of the ship but hoped to see the officers also at her dignity this remark touched our dignity and one of my companions replied that we midshipmen considered ourselves officers and no small ones either and that if she waited for the lieutenants she must wait until they were tired of the governor's ball, we having given the preference to hers. This remark set all to rights. Sangaree was handed about, and I looked around at the company. I must acknowledge, at the risk of losing the good opinion of my fair countrywomen, that I never saw before so many pretty figures and faces. The officers not having yet arrived, we received all the attention, and I was successfully presented to Miss Eurydice, miss minerva miss sylvia miss aspasia miss euterpe and many other evidently borrowed from the different men-of-war which had been on the station all these young ladies gave themselves all the airs of almax their dresses i cannot pretend to describe jewels of value were not wanting but their drapery was slight they appeared neither to wear nor to require stays and on the whole their figures were so perfect that they could only be ill-dressed by having on too much dress A few more midshipmen and some lieutenants, O'Brien among the number, having made their appearance, Miss Austin directed that the ball should commence. I requested the honour of Miss Eurydice's hand in a cotillion, which was to open the ball. At this moment stepped forth the premier violin, master of the ceremonies and ballet-master, Massa Johnson, really a very smart man, who gave lessons in dancing to all the Badian ladies. He was a dark quadroon, his hair slightly powdered, dressed in a light blue coat thrown well back to show his lily-white waistcoat only one button of which he could afford to button to make full room for the pride of his heart the frill of his shirt which really was an unjabat superb four inches wide and extending from his collar to the waistband of his nanking tights which were finished off at his knees with huge bunches of ribbon his legs were encased in silk stockings which however was not very good taste on his part as they showed the manifest advantage which in european has over a coloured man in the formation of the leg instead of being straight his shins curved like a cheese-knife and moreover his leg was planted into his foot like the handle into a broom or scrubbing-brush there being quite as much of the foot on the heel side as on the toe side such was the appearance of mr apollo johnson whom the ladies considered as the ne plus ultra the fashion and the arbiter of elegantarium his bow-tick or fiddlestick was his wand whose magic rap on the fiddle produced immediate obedience to his mandates. Ladies and gentlemen, take your seats, all started up. Miss Yuridish, you open the ball. Miss Yurdiss had but a sorry partner, but she undertook to instruct me. O'Brien was our vis-à-vis with Miss Euterpe. The other gentlemen were officers from the ship, and we stood up twelve, checkered brown and white like a chessboard. All eyes were fixed upon Mr. Apollo Johnson, who first looked at the couple's, then at his fiddle and lastly at the other musician's to see if all was right and then with a wave of his bow-tick the music began massa lieutenant cried apollo to o'brien cross over to opposite lady right hand at left then figure to miss your list that right now forehand round you lily midshipman set your partner sir then twist her round Dat do now stop first figure all over at this time i thought i might venture to talk a little with my partner and i ventured a remark to my surprise she answered very sharply i come here for dance sir not for chetta look massa johnson he tap em the second figure commenced and i made a sad bungle so i did of the third and fourth and fifth for i never had danced a cotillion when i handed my partner to her place who certainly was the prettiest girl in the room she looked rather contemptuously at me and observed to a neighbour I really pity the gentlemen as come from England that know no how to dance, know nothing at all, until him have instruction at Barbados. A country dance was now called for, which was more acceptable to all parties, as none of Mr. Apollo Johnson's pupils were very perfect in their cotillion, and none of the officers except O'Brien knew anything about them. O'Brien's superior education on this point added to his lieutenant's epaulette and handsome person made him much courted, But he took up with Miss Eurydice after I had left her, and remained with her the whole evening, thereby exciting the jealousy of Mr. Apollo Johnson, who, it appears, was amorous in that direction. Our party increased every minute. All the officers of the garrison, and finally, as soon as they could get away, the governors, aides de camp, all dressed in mufti, in other words, plain clothes. The dancing continued until three o'clock in the morning, when it was quite a squeeze from the constant arrival of fresh recruits from all the houses in Barbados i must say that a few bottles of eau de cologne thrown about the room would have improved the atmosphere by this time the heat was terrible and the mopping of the ladies faces everlasting i would recommend a dignity ball to all stout gentlemen who wish to be reduced a stone or two supper was now announced and having danced the last country dance with miss minerva i of course had the pleasure of handing her into the supper-room it was my fate to sit opposite to a fine turkey and I asked my partner if I should have the pleasure of helping her to a piece of the breast. She looked at me very indignantly and said, "'Curse your impudence, sir. I wonder where you learn your manners. Sir, I take a lily turkey bosom, if you please. Talk of breast to a lady, sir. Really quite horrid.' I made two or three more barbarous mistakes before the supper was finished. At last the eating was over, and I must say a better supper I never sat down to silence gentlemen and ladies cried mr apollo johnson with the permission of our amiable hostess i will propose a toast gentlemen and ladies you all know and if be so you don't i say there no place in the world like barbados all the world fight again england but england never fear king george never fear while barbados stands stiff badeen fight for king george to last drop of him blood never see the day in run away. "'You all know them Frenchmans at Saint-Lucy? "'Give up morn fortuny when he hear de Bady volunteer come against him. "'I hope no fence present company, "'but i sorry to say English come here too jealous of Badians. Gentlemen and lady, Barbadian born ab only one fault. "'He really too brave. "'A purpose health of island of Barbados.' "'Acclamations from all quarters to follow.' this truly modest speech and the toast was drunk with rapture the ladies were delighted with mr apollo's eloquence and the lead which he took in the company o'brien then rose and addressed the company as follows ladies and gentlemen mr paul has spoken better than the best parrot i ever met with in this country but as he has thought proper to drink the island of barbados i mean to be a little more particular i wish with him all good health to the island but there is a charm without which the island would be a desert that is the society of the lovely girls who now surround us and take our hearts by storm here o'brien put his arm gently round miss Eurydice's waist and mr apollo ground his teeth so as to be heard at the furthest end of the room therefore gentlemen with your permission i will propose the health of the badian ladies this speech of o'brien's was declared by the females at least to be infinitely superior to mr apollo johnson's miss yurdas was even more gracious and the other ladies were more envious many other toasts and much more wine was drunk until the male part of the company appeared to be rather riotous mr apollo however had to regain his superiority and after some hems and haws begged permission to give a sentiment gentlemen and ladies i beg then to say here's to the cock who make lub to de hen crow till he horse and make lub again the sentiment was received with rapture and after silence was obtained miss Betsy austin rose and said unaccustomed as she was to public speaking she must not sit till and not thank the gentleman for his very fine toast and in the name of the ladies she begged leave to propose another sentiment which was here to the hen what never refuses let cock play compliment whenever he chooses if the first toast was received with applause this was with enthusiasm but we received a damper after it was subsided by the lady of the house getting up and saying Now, gentlemen and ladies, me think it right to say dat it time to go home. I never allow people get drunk or kick up babbery in my house, so now I think we better take parting glass and very much obliged to you for your company. As O'Brien said, this was a broad hint to be off. So we all now took our parting glass in compliance with her request, at her own wishes, and proceeded to escort our partners on their way home. While I was assisting Miss Minerva to her red crepe shawl a storm was brewing in another quarter to wit between mr apollo johnson and o'brien o'brien was assiduously attending to miss eurydice whispering what he called soft blarney in her ear when mr apollo who was above spirit boiling heat with jealousy came up and told miss eurydice that he would have the honour of escorting her home you may save yourself the trouble you dingy gutscraper replied o'brien the lady is under my protection so take your ugly black face out of the way or i'll show you how i treat a badian who is really too brave so help me God, matter, lieutenant pose you put a finger on me i show you what badian can do apollo then attempted to insert himself between o'brien and his lady upon which o'brien shoved him back with great violence and continued his course towards the door they were in the passage when i came up for hearing o'brien's voice in anger I left Miss Minerva to shift for herself. Miss Yurdis had now left O'Brien's arm at his request, and he and Mr. Apollo were standing in the passage. O'Brien closed to the door, which was shut, and Apollo swaggering up to him. O'Brien, who knew the tender part of a black, saluted Apollo with a kick on the shins, which would have broken my leg. Massa Johnson roared with pain and recoiled two or three paces, parting the crowd away behind him. The blacks never fight with fists, but but with their heads like rams, and with quite as much force. When Mr. Apollo had retreated, he gave his shin one more rub, uttered a loud yell, and started at O'Brien, with his head aimed at O'Brien's chest, like a battering-ram. O'Brien, who was aware of this plan of fighting, stepped dexterously to one side, and allowed Mr. Apollo to pass him by, which he did with such force that his head went clean through the panel of the door behind O'Brien, and there he stuck, as fast as if in a pillory, squealing like a pig for assistance and foaming with rage after some difficulty he was released and presented a very melancholy figure his face was much cut and his superb jabot all in tatters he appeared however to have quite enough of it as he retreated to the supper-room followed by some of his admirers without asking or looking after o'brien but if mr apollo had had enough of it his friends were too indignant to allow us to go off scot-free a large mob was collected in the street, vowing vengeance on us for our treatment of their flashman, and a row was to be expected. Monsieur Des had escaped, so that O'Brien had his hands free. Come out, you hangman thieves! come out! Only wish shall rock stones to mash our heads with, cried the mob of Negroes. The officers now sallied out in a body, and were saluted with every variety of missile, such as rotten oranges, cabbage-stalks, mud, and coconut shells. We fought our way manfully, but as we neared the beach the mob increased to hundreds, and at last we could proceed no further, being completely jammed up by the niggers, upon whose heads we could make no more impression than upon blocks of marble. "'We must draw our swords,' observed an officer. "'No, no,' replied O'Brien. "'That will not do. If once we shed blood they will never let us get on board with our lives. The boats crew by this time must be aware that there is a row.' O'Brien was right. He had hardly spoken before a lane was observed to be made through the crowd in the distance, which in two minutes was open to us. Swinburne appeared in the middle of it, followed by the rest of the boat's crew, armed with the boat's stretchers, which they did not aim at the heads of the blacks, but swept them like scythes against their shins. This they continued to do right and left of us as we walked through and went down to the boats, the seamen closing up the rear with their stretchers, with which they ever and anon made a sweep at the black fellows if they approached too near it was now broad daylight and in a few minutes we were again safely on board the frigate thus ended the first and last dignity ball that i attended End of chapter thirty one